The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking a Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I am Tim Jackson, joined, as always, by T.C. Zenka and T.C. We are winding down. We are into the final weeks of the season, and uh, we've we both, we both lived a lot of baseball this summer, uh, and we both died a lot of baseball this summer. <laughs> How are you processing? How are you uh, dealing with all, all the things happening here in the game? Tim, I really can't believe it. Three weeks. We got three weeks left. It's kind of crazy. I mean, it's, you know, as we're talking here, it's Tuesday night. This will be going up on Thursday morning, but, you know, there's there's barely any baseball left. It's kind of crazy. I'm, I'm a little bit sad because it means the, you know, the Nationals and Cubs are going to be done. And those are the teams I like to, uh, those are the teams I follow and the teams I like to watch the most on a, kind of on a daily basis. But I'm super pumped because playoff baseball is right around the corner and that's really the only baseball that matters. That's the, you know, that's when the sport really steps up and becomes watchable for you know more people than just us as a base baseball lifers here but uh so i'm super excited it's gonna be it's gonna be a good playoffs we have a lot of good teams this year and it's kind of a you know it's kind of a weird year because i don't know who's gonna be i don't know who's gonna be there i don't even know who the favorite's gonna be i mean (laughs) you think the dodgers but they're not even leading their division right now so who knows yeah, the Dodgers are still in a space where they could uh, theoretically, I guess, miss the playoffs. Uh, I don't know that it'll happen given how the NL is constituted. But, I mean, speaking of the Dodgers, like you're saying, they, they are not in the divisional lead. Their opponents, the San Francisco Giants, who we have spoken about numerous times through the course of this year, are the first team to clinch a spot this season. I don't know that anybody predicted that. If somebody put down like a $5 bet and just became much much richer good for them i would love to hear about it although you don't have to tell anybody because that's how you lose your lottery winnings uh <laughs> you know <laughs> given that sense the giants aren't the only story though it's really this week in terms of a big focus when team management works or doesn't because every team is in a different spot right now even if you're competing or trying to compete or know you are not competing at all or anywhere close to it for this season we've got the Giants we've got the Phillies doing Phillies things and we've got the Pirates trying to look like a a competitive team again all of these teams very different perspectives let's start with the Giants and the best teams in general what do they do to try to improve because the Giants are unique in their roster construction with their platoons uh, with how their waiver claims their tiny trades have worked out over the last calendar year what does a team do like 
uh, in this context to improve? TC, how do they do it? How do they make this a sustainable thing even for this season or beyond? This is a sustainable thing. I mean, they're like a fine wine. They've been aging for the last five years, right? This is the same <laughs> roster from, from the 2015 title team. So you just got to win the title, have that team sit around for a while, and then, you know, break them out of cryo-freeze and get them to the field, get them ready to go. I mean, the, the Chris Bryant acquisition is huge for them, I think, now and in the future. I think they, they have the pockets, the deep pockets, to sign him long-term if he's the guy that they want long-term, and they can afford him. And they're one of the few teams right now who look like they might actually want to pony up for, for Chris Bryant specifically. And, and, you know, as much as he's kind of fallen out of favor in Chicago because of just all the talk, it was all contract talk and, and free agency nonsense, he's a stud. Like, when he's healthy, he's an absolute stud. He's one of the best hitters in this sport even though we don't really think of him in that way anymore because, you know, we've all got all these young flashier toys and and he's not Mookie Betts and he's not one of the, you know, Mike Trout, he's not one of the top players in baseball, but he's an incredibly valuable piece. And I think that's how you, that's how you make this thing sustainable. Like Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Brandon, Brandon Belt. It's amazing what these old dudes have done. Evan Longoria. But to make this thing work long-term, you have to expect some regression from these guys at some point, you know, just like they were the last five years, you know, they're going to get worse again. And you have to bring in bigger pieces to help, help carry the load. So you can continue to time to like load manage a guy like Buster Posey, who is as good as he's ever been, but he's also, you know, a star guy who's always been a star. This, the team had fallen to hard times. The question with the giants to me, I mean, their offense actually looks pretty good. Their entire pitching staff is going to be a free agent right just pretty much giants pitching staff free agent so that's that's kind of the big deal is how do they rebuild that part of it i mean it's a patchwork rotation but it's really worked i mean logan webb looks like he's a long-term piece great he was their sixth starter coming into this year and then it was just a bunch of like historically maybe hopefully mid-range starters right di scafani anthony di scafani from the Reds who'd kind of fallen out of favor there. Alex Wood, a guy who'd been hurt and ineffective the last couple of seasons. Johnny Cueto, former ace who hadn't been serviceable in a long time. And then, you know, Kevin Gossman, the, the actual ace of the group, he too was a free agent and he's going to be looking for big money. So I don't know that you can just say that, you know, paying Gossman and Bryant is the way to make this sustainable. That's like the obvious answer in terms of, you know, bringing this team back, but the Giants have done things their own way. I have, you know, they got some Farhan Zaidi magic. I don't know what he's planning for how to actually keep this thing going, but I trust him. Whatever he's going to do, I trust him. Well, the interesting thing about Zaidi is that he's come from teams that have built from the ground up and have found creative ways to compete for years, right? Like he came from the A's, he came from the Dodgers, and that was like a combo of both being creative and resourceful and ahead of the curve on things and throwing your financial weight around. And and now it seems like he's in a spot to potentially do that again. And I know we're looking forward to next year and we can talk about the, uh, the inevitable playoff run for them in a moment. But I wonder how much of their success has to do with him finally being there for a little while because he's been there, what, two, three years now at this point. Yeah. He's got all his people in there. Uh, he's been able to see what he likes and doesn't and how to tweak things. Uh, we've talked about 
how they seem to uh, be able to get the best out of everybody by putting them in optimal platoon positions to get them to succeed. I mean, really, what what spot is a dedicated spot in that lineup? And like maybe Bryant, and then you know, like everybody else is kind of uh, shifted around as needed. Even the older guys, if they, you know, they like they can afford to sit for a game. I guess not afford to. That's that's uh, leery language right now. But uh, you know, if they need to move people around, they can move pretty much anyone around, even Bryant. So I wonder how much somebody like Zaidi has to do with this as opposed to, like, there's a lot of praise going around for Gabe Kapler. He's probably learned a few things uh, yeah. from his first stint in Philadelphia, which was wildly just mediocre. I, I don't know, like, do you almost, like, put the faith in them moving forward in Zaidi and his ability to find people to do the job that can really get it done? That seems to be what his track record is, but do you think that will keep seeing it in that term, even if it isn't this kind of success. Yeah, I think for Zaidi, it's finding enough guys, always having the depth to, to call on. We've talked about depth almost every week. We talk about depth, how important it is. You have to have your 40 man roster now is really your roster. That's the way baseball works now. You have to, you're going to use all 40 guys. All 40 yeah. guys are going to be on the team. And more than that, really, most, most teams are going to use more than 40 guys. So, you have to build out the entire roster and start thinking about your team, not like a 25, 26-man roster, but like a 40-man roster. And that's what Zaidi does. And, yeah, I, I give a lot of credit to Kapler. You know, Kapler built his his coaching staff is very non-traditional. It has a lot of people who never played the game before. It's, it has a lot of younger coaches who didn't play the game. It has a, wait for it, woman on staff, crazy. And, you know, it, it's, it's worked. by all For all intents and purposes, this is a team that's overachieved. And you have to give credit to the coaching staff for that. I don't know that it's the type of thing that will work every year, but you know, I don't see why not when we've seen this kind of, you know, you know, on-field development approach work with the, you know, we've seen it work with the Rays and we've seen it work with the A's and we've seen it work with the Dodgers. And you do wonder if the giants are going to kind of fall more into the, the Dodgers mold of this, of that small market mindset with some actual deep pockets to, to call upon. Now the, the Dodgers have done a great job of, not spending big except for that premier, premier top level guy outside of the, the Trevor Bauer mishap, which, you know, on field was still that, that same model. So it'll be interesting to see if the Giants kind of follow that same path. If they pay for Gossman and Bryant, if, if those guys qualify as, you know, upper echelon enough for, for Zaidi and company. But in general, yeah, you got to, I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff. You got to give credit to Kapler for piecing this together. And, you know, they've had, you know, they have a lot of veterans there, but they've also, they have one of these like mix and match, match, match rosters that we've, you know, that you just mentioned. I mean, they've got, it's, it's Yastrzemski in the outfield, which is great, but he's not a traditional center fielder and he's playing center field. They got Steven Duggar out there. They got Lamont Wade Jr. They got Wilmer Flores playing big minutes. They got Donovan Solano. They have Darren Ruff having a great year. Just, it goes on and on and on. This roster is deep but not in a way that you would have thought it's it's deep in, in, in like you know replaceable veterans that you would have that are there available in free agency for anybody to pick up anybody could have had Wilmer Flores or Darren Ruff these guys are available Lamont Wade Jr. is I mean these guys are available they're out there and Zaidi was the one to pick them up and Kapler and company were the ones who were able to find the right places for them so yeah after this season and you know this isn't necessarily even a one-off I mean the Giants have been better than expected every year of Zaidi's tenure. Like we've expected them to be a bottom of the barrel team for these first three seasons. 
and they haven't been at any point. They've been respectable the entire the entire time. And you, I just have to think that that's going to continue to happen, that they're going to continue to play kind of, you know, above their expectations. Yeah, the teams like this, they really make me rethink projections. Uh, the, the Giants have outperformed. Uh, the Rays have outperformed. The Red Sox have outperformed. And it's kind of like some of that is, of course, luck, but some of it has to be by design. And I think might show... Uh, an inkling of the gap between the public and private knowledge of the game and how things develop in terms of what gets valued in these uh, projections because they're really tough. I, th- like, I don't know that anybody necessarily predicted any team to have the record it did this year. Some teams are falling in line with their projections, some are not. But I think that there is a gap when it comes to a team like the Giants when they have a person running it who is inevitably... Uh, just better than what you would expect, quote-unquote expect, right? We know he, that Farhan Zaidi is extremely smart. Uh, we know that, like, one of my favorite details about him is that he would just wreck people in, in the org's fantasy football league just for years at a time. Uh, that he would just take them out. Like, he was, you know, just the way his mind works lends itself to this kind of restru- uh, roster construction. And... One more note on next year, they have like $80 million coming off the books. So whether it's Bryant and Gossman uh, who have their, maybe their flaws, I guess, or, or their downsides uh, with Bryant and his age, uh, but still has all of the positional eligibility that you could want, I guess, out of a player of that level, Gossman. And, you know, really being a two-pitch guy who's about to be 31, but who, again, seems to have been able to put it together. Whether those guys do it or not, they still have $80 million based on their payroll this year. They might want to bump it up a little more. It's hard not to see them as contenders for a major piece this offseason, right? Oh, yeah. They have to be willing to play the market. And, you know, they haven't – they've been active players in free agency, but not necessarily at the top of the market. And I don't know which – I have to think that they're going to make some kind of big splash. But, I, you know, it's not a great – crop of starting pitchers out there right and they that's really what they need they need to build out this entire no. rotation like they they have nobody signed beyond logan webb and <laughs> that's you know logan webb looks great but they're gonna have to find all these other pieces and you know they could probably bring back alex wood relatively reasonably and and they scafani it'll be interesting to see what he gets on the open market but it might be more of those kinds of gets for them you know guys who have maybe underplayed their potential so far. And, you know, I don't know outside of Gossman. I mean, if they let him walk, I think they might have a tough time replacing him, but I do think that they are going to, they're not going to outbid themselves and they're not going to, you know, drastically overpay for somebody. I think they will probably be patient and let the market come to them as they have in the past. And, you know, I think there'll be players for Gossman and for Bryant, but I, but again, I, I don't think they're necessarily going to be guys that they're signing on day one. I think they'll let them go out and test. You know, these teams that are run really well can can let players go out and test the market and bring it back to them and and have an opportunity to match. And I think that the Giants will be that kind of franchise where they they you know if they want them back at the at the price point that the market sets, they'll get them back. But and if they don't get them back, it'll be because you know they don't think that they're worth overpaying whatever price they're getting their whatever they're getting elsewhere. And, you know, Gossman's going to have suitors 31 years old. Fine. But he's, he's been great. And he's going to have some suitors. Bryant, I'm sure will too. I'm, I'm less sure of where he's going to go because of the age, because of the injury concerns, because of just the money that he's going to demand as a Scott Boris client. But 
But we'll see, and 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 so will the Giants, and they're going to wait and see too. I, it'll be, you know, the Giants are going to be one of the more fascinating teams to follow this this offseason because they do have money. There are a couple teams that have money. You know, the Giants are kind of a wild card. The Nationals, another team that have just a ton of money coming off the books, that are going to be a wild card. The Dodgers, as always, are have money if they want to use it. The Cubs have money. Like a lot of these big market teams have money to spend. The Yankees have some significant holes that they could be targeting, and there are guys out there. So it's going to be an interesting offseason because there's definitely money available out there from some big market teams. And the giants are one of the key players. It is. And you're right. And really when it comes to Gossman, he might, when all is said and done, and we know who the free agents are, he might be the best free agent starting pitcher available, which maybe does price him out. But even if this team looks radically different next year, I think it's safe to say that we could still in some way, shape or form count on the giants being a competitive, interesting team doing interesting things with their roster even with the rotation that you're mentioning I think that's even a point for this year with the playoff run and we can focus on that for a moment because they have Gossman they have Webb they have these Sclafani but who are they matching up against like I know this isn't the first time people are bringing this up that they've managed to win 94 games as of recording but who are they matching up against in the playoffs like do they just you can't go hog wild and give like each of those guys three innings in a in a you know a, a series or something in a given game. But do they have enough depth to get past the best teams? Because depth wins through the regular season, but we've seen basically talent win out in the playoffs recently. Yeah, I mean it'll be interesting. The, the deeper they go in the playoffs, the harder it's going to be. I mean we saw that with the Rays last year. They you know they really rode Nick Anderson, and by the end he was tired. A lot of their their relievers were tired. The, you know the relief core has been solid, but that unit is going to be they're going to have to ride these guys hard in the postseason. And you know we saw the Nats do it a couple of years ago with just six guys pretty much. So you know you don't need a but they had starters, guys who everyone who was able to go multiple innings, and they had starters who were able to go five, six innings. I don't know the Giants have that outside of Gossman, and you know it'll be interesting to see how much they trust Webb and Scafani in the playoffs because they're going to need them to eat up some innings. Because otherwise, you're right; they they are going to these guys are going to get tired. They're not going to be able to use the the you know the waiver wire and move and move guys to AAA as much as they're able to during the regular season. It's going to be, you know eight, nine guys that they're going to have to ride. They'll get an extra guy in the bullpen because they want to use quite so many starters. But, you know, I'll be very interested to see just how that playoff roster gets put together. They should be fine, I think, for the for the DS. But I don't know. But fine just means, like, to me, that they won't, they won't be overtired. I don't know that it means yeah. that they're a strong enough unit to get past the Dodgers. I mean, and that's what we're looking at with them. It's going to be they're either in the wild card game, which is a thing in and of itself, or they're playing the winner of the wild card game, which is, you know, probably the Dodgers. Like if they get lucky, it's the Padres or the Reds. But, um, you know, they, they certainly don't have the starting staff to match up with the Dodgers or the Reds. Or the Brewers, right? If they eventually meet the Brewers at that point, and those guys all have some playoff tax on them. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the Brewers are sitting pretty right now and, and if they end up getting to that point, yeah, that's the thing. Once they get into seven game, a seven game series is tough to make to do all the mixing and matching because these guys had to go back to back days, and they're going to have to use all of them. It's you know, it's bullpen days again and again and again, and that does get tired. They're going to really need Gossman to be, you know, a capital A ace. He's got to be every single time Gossman starts, 
He's got to go six, seven innings. He's really got to give them that frontline outing. And, you know, he's certainly capable, but the playoffs are largely about getting hot. And, and you know, is he going to be hot at that time? Who knows? We haven't seen it from him yet. He's, you know, we haven't seen him in, we haven't seen like this form of Kevin Gossman in the playoffs. So they could ride him and he, and he could be, he can make it work for them. Or maybe Logan Webb really like, you know, grows up in this moment. And, and, you know, we've seen that from guys too. I mean, the Brewers are a testament to it, right? They have had starters be five inning starters, six inning starters in the playoffs who we did not expect to see it from, you know, that got them to the the NLCS a couple of years ago against the Dodgers. And they didn't necessarily have the staff then that they do that they have now, you know, it wasn't, you know, Woodruff and Burns weren't stars at that point. Woodruff was beginning to be, but, the rest of the team, they had some, you know, it was Zach Davies and, and guys who were, who were making it work for that team. So, <laughs> right. You, you can make it work, but it's, it's definitely, it, it can be tough. And, and by the time you get to that fourth round, I mean, it's just, it's a long, it's a long playoffs. Once you get to those seven game series, if you're, if you're in real, you know, tough, long series and, I don't know if the if the Giants have enough to get to get through all that. I'm not sure that I would bet on them, but man, right now I certainly don't want to bet against them. I think that's the best way to phrase it is that certainly like, you know, the playoffs can be a crapshoot no matter how good your team is. We've seen that every year. Uh even the really good ones, like, yeah, it comes down to top talent, but they're like sometimes like the Rays. The Rays haven't won the World Series yet, no matter how deep their team is, right? Uh but who's betting against the Giants because they have gotten here? I mean, I remember in the offseason talking about Alex Wood as a guy that could flip at the trade deadline if he's oh, yeah. pitching well. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they're very much past that, and they just seem to keep passing any given obstacle or rising to the to the matter at the very least. So we've got a bit of a playoff preview there, simply out of the Giants clinching a spot. So congratulations to them. They're a super fun team in that sense. Uh, now we will look at, uh, I guess, a sadder form of baseball with what the Phillies have been up to. And we mentioned recently about how they pretty much fired a lot of their developmental staff because their developmental failures have been numerous and large in the last decade. Uh, they got rid of some AGMs. They got rid of some guys uh, below that. They're reshaping things, clearly moving in a different direction, even as they try to compete. They DFA'd Vince Velasquez. Who cares if it was three years too late? Uh, they just D- DFA'd Daniel De Los Santos. Now, De Los Santos has never had good major league results. That said, he does throw a mid-90s fastball. He did have the best strikeout percentage of his career. And I wonder, like, even if they haven't really developed him the way he seemed like he could have maybe helped, and, you know, that speaks to even edge of the roster guys not being able to get developed. You know, it, like, is there a way out for this kind of team that's just in like that middling malaise, whether it's the Phillies or not? I know I harp on them for, you know, for reasons geographic and, and uh, sentimental, <laughs> but is like, what do we do with a team like the Phillies who just sits there and, and, and wades in mediocrity? You know, we we talk about this kind of, treadmill team right like oh you, you gotta avoid the middle but few teams have done it with the the, the real luster and fervor of, of these Phillies who are going to be seem just destined that they're going to be exactly 500 again right but will it be the third straight season of being exactly 500 I mean 
they are truly, Close truly enough. a treadmill team. And it's pretty amazing to to keep up that level of mediocrity, frankly. It's I don't know how they're able to do it because you don't usually see it. I mean, teams usually fall one way or the other. Like they either grow up or they start or they're not able to sustain it. And and these Phillies, they're just I think part of it is that the 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 East is always gettable. And so it always you know, they're always still fighting. They look like they could win, even though they're really not in a spot to. Yeah, they're always right there. It always feels like they've got a chance. Even now, like they're one game over 500. They still have a shot. Like it's an outside shot, but they still have a shot. So, you know, they are rebuilding everything now. But that takes time. So, I mean, I don't know. So they've got, you know, but they bring in Dave Dabrowski. They take a year to kind of gauge what's there. Then they fire everybody. You know, then they figure. Then they decide, okay, what's here is bad, so let's get rid of that. And now they've got to restart. So now they've got to really, you know, I'm sure they have some pieces in there still, but they've got to now really figure out their development, their development plan, and get whole new guys in there and and figure out the whole, you know, what is the philosophy of this organization moving forward in terms of their development? Because, I mean, you said it; they've had some big time failures, and they do not have the depth and the pieces, and they're paying too much for the top end of their roster. To, to see the the bottom part of it just kind of be so blah, and it just man, it really is. And you feel for for Harper and and Wheeler and Real Mundo. I mean, they might have the MVP and the Cy Young on this team, and they and they're still and where are they? <laughs> like, I mean, Harper has been so good, and and Wheeler's been so good. Real Mundo has been what you expect him to be. God, they just they got to figure out some other pieces, and and. You know, I think they'll be active in the trade market this this winter. I I wholly expect there to be some Tampa Bay current Tampa Bay Rays who are on this team next year, and maybe that helps. They've got a lot of like small money coming off the books. Yeah, but I don't know how you really. I mean, I don't know how you really fix them now. Like they have the three big pieces locked in. The three I mentioned. They got Segura for another year. They've got Nola for another two. They got Gibson for next year. So they've got the beginning of their rotation, their, their rotation for next year. They still got to figure out the bullpen. I mean, Eflin still, the rotation looks good next year, but they got to figure out the defense, their infield defense. If they're going to have a guy like Gibson and count on him to be a, a high end mid rotation arm. And they're still locked into Gregorius. They're still locked into Segura. Like, I don't see how that actually, what the path is to actually doing that. And so it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's, where's the organizational philosophy? Like where, where is it? If you're going to get all these ground ball pitchers, you got to put some infielders behind them. And if you're going to have this pay big money to these stars, then you got to find a way to build out the depth cheaply. You can't just get the veterans that you know are really good. Like you have to be willing to find these other, these diamonds in the rough and where the, the giants have really succeeded. This is where the Phillies have failed, right? Like the Darren Ruffs and the Donovan Solanos, those are great for the giants. You know, Matt Joyce and Freddie Galvis and Brad Miller, they have not done the job in the same way for the Phillies. And you end up with a roster that just looks lackluster. And I think the way, you know, Girardi, I don't know if he's the right guy to lead that kind of roster right now. But he's got to because it's, it's, he's there now and he's he is their guy. So I think they have to find a roster that suits Joe Girardi's taste, whatever that is. I think. I don't know if Joe Girardi knows what that is because where has he managed? He's managed in my well, Florida with the Marlins. 
And then he managed with the Yankees as basically a a powerhouse for the better part of his tenure there. And now, like, like, I don't know what to make of managers. I feel like they're more important than we realize. And we don't know really how to evaluate them because we don't have formulas for their production like we do with players, right? But, like, how much of it... In San Francisco is Gabe Kapler. How much of it in Philly is Joe Girardi? He's made bad decisions this year. Like if you watch those games, it's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, and he seems that you know want a roster for uh, guys who are not really doing what he thinks they're doing. Maybe I, I don't know. Like it's so hard to quantify or wrap your head around the job he's done this year. They've been no different with him than they have been with uh, with Kapler, and it's really interesting in the sense that like. You know, again, what do you make of that? Because, like you're saying, they have not had an identity really since 2011 when they had the most wins in franchise history with 102. And they've been, they've flirted with 500 pretty much as their ceiling since then. That's it. They have not had more than 81 wins in a year since 2011. In the last four years, when we've dealt with Girardi and Kapler as their manager, as we try to process what that has been, it's been total chaos, and they're they have a 495 winning percentage to this point. They've been under 500 two of those years. I I, yeah. I don't know, like that that noise, whatever I just made. I feel like that's how the identity <laughs> of the Phillies because, like you're saying, they've got Bryce Harper and Zach Wheeler, potential MVP, potential Cy Young. They still have Aaron Nola, who like maybe he's just given up too many tanks on O2 counts or something. Maybe like maybe they need to like iron something out there. But the communication has been terrible. The direction has been directionless. This is a team that, like, if you were to categorize the Phillies, I feel like the best way to do it would be to describe uh, someone in a little rowboat in a foggy lake. And they're doing their thing in the morning. And all of a sudden, they bump into another boat and they freak out and they yell at the person in the other boat. And then the fog clears and the boat's empty. (laughs) <laughs> They're just yelling by themselves in a lake in the morning because they can't see through the fog. I, I I really don't know which direction to go because like farm systems garbage too. So you're saying like they kind of have to deal with Girardi as the manager, maybe build a team to suit his intentions or his his desires for what winning is. He certainly knows what winning feels like. But I don't even know what that looks like because they have so much work to do. This is the thinnest team I can imagine contending in years, right? Am, am I off base in saying that? Am I too close to the situation to say they are the thinnest team, uh, quote unquote, contending in years? I don't know. I mean, the 2019 Nationals were, th- they were a similarly thin team, like really shallow. They did not have extra pieces. Like when Trey Turner went down at the beginning of the year, that's what tanked them, made them to go 19 and 31. They had tremendous health the rest of the way. The Phillies are kind of a similar team. I mean, they when they when they hired Kapler, they hired all these data first guys, but the organization never dug into it, right? Like they had Chris Young as their pitching coach, and there was all this conflicting information about how they wanted to actually run the team. I think they're kind of on they by bringing Girardi and Nebraska. I think they kind of have more cohesion weirdly but i'm just not sure it's the right direction like they have kind of they're kind of an old school franchise now and i think that they that's kind of how they see themselves but i don't know how you you can't just like get more out of these guys if you're not delving into those numbers right they kind of have 
Right. And so, like, I don't know how they actually expect to be, be better. I mean, the Joe Girardi of the, of the Marlins, I don't know where that manager is. Like, he was, like, ruined by too many years with the Yankees and too many years of having to be this, like, domineering, you know, manager-manager. Like, that first year with the Marlins, he was supposed to be this, like, amazing, youthful, like, player development coach. Like that was who he was supposed to be. He raised the ceiling of this Mar- of this young Marlins team and, and did an amazing job. One manager of the year. Yankees stole him away, turned him into this monster. And now that he's with Philly, it's kind of like a you know a, a you know facsimile of, of those Yankees Cubs, and they're just not there. Like you said, like they want to have the the core that they had back in 2011, and they have they're coming close to it on offense. They have some really nice pieces, but the pitching staff is not there. They do not have the horses in the rotation that they did back in those days. And they don't have the bullpen that's anywhere near it. And they don't seem to know how to fix the bullpen as, as you know, much as it's been a mess and maybe. Well, and that, and that's a Dave Dombrowski thing, right? That's kind of an issue if they haven't been able to fix it and he comes in and still, still blowing a major league leading amount of saves. Like yeah. if, again, if they saved even if they closed out even half of the games they've blown, they are handily winning the NL East and we're probably not even having this conversation. Like, exactly. Right. But I mean, what are they supposed to, I mean, they made some solid moves. Jose Alvarado. That was a good get. I mean, you know, the beginning of the Rays, moving the Rays over here. Right. I think they're going to see, we're going to see more trades like that from them, you know, getting him seemed like a good move. Uh, Archie Bradley seemed like a fine pickup. They made some, some okay deals, but the guys just, they just have like an amazing ability to blow saves at the right moment. Like to, to blow games at just the right moment. Cause even Alvarado, he's been good, but he's still blowing games. Yeah. He's been well, fine at times, but he's still blowing games. It's just like at all the right. I and mean, Brandon Kinsler was a good get for them. I, I liked a lot of the moves they made. It's just, they just haven't worked out. And it's, and it's, I don't know if it's bad luck. Or, I feel like it's bad juju in the same way that like the giants have this great, team yes. attitude where they, the Giants believe, right? The Giants believe, the players believe, right? The players are on the same page with the manager who's on the same page with Zaidi. I think once the Phillies, once you get down to Girardi, I think it kind of stops. And maybe like you get to Harper and Harper, I think is on board, but I think the rest of the team, and so it's like, you know, Segura and Didi Gregorius, but I think the rest of the team's a little bit like, you know, what are we doing here really? And then it just Even doesn't so- feel like they believe as a team. It doesn't feel like they are, they have the right like attitude, right? To win. Right. Well, and it's been a weird season from Real Muto. Uh, Segura had his clashes with Girardi earlier this season. He is a noted uh, through multiple franchises issue with different uh, teammates. Um, they have this weird thing going on with uh, COVID vaccinations, right? Where the like leaders of the team are actively campaigning guys not to get it. And that's caused additional issues and brought additional attention uh, to, to the club in a negative light. Uh, Reese Hoskins has gone down. Zach Eflin has gone down. And when you can't, like, they don't have the depth pieces to to replace even one of those guys, right? Like, so that, now you lose two of them, and it's a big issue. And it's it's, I don't know, mind blowing. I guess, like, uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't about the know. Forty man roster, right? The the Phillies have a twenty yes. man roster. They they need to have twice as many guys. Like literally, like literally, they have a twenty man roster. Yes. They need to have twice as many dudes who are ready to ready to rock in some form or fashion. It does does not feel like they have those guys at all. They don't even have a starting center fielder. Like they are down positions. They they need some help, and it's and they need it at some positions that are tough right now. Like maybe they'll buy one of these shortstops in the offseason, and that'll help them somewhat. But they still got to do something with Gregorius. He's still owed a lot of money. They got to figure out a center fielder. 
the bullpen just feels like it's going to be a mess, which means you got to figure out for real the, the back end of this rotation. And as silly as it is, like they got to figure out it's five through 10. That's what they need for this rotation. It's arms five through 10. And those are more important than I think Girardi wants to believe and, and, and more so than Dabrowski wants to believe. Yeah. And, and I like, that's like, I don't know how you spend your way out of this roster right now because they're still an expensive team. They you're like the positions you're talking about are difficult positions to fill. Like we've talked about bullpens being hit or miss We've talked about neat, like they, like even the moves they made, like trading Connor Siebold for Heath Hembry and Matt Barnes totally oh, blew up in their face. Siebold's starting now with Pavetta out, who they also send to the Red Sox. Yeah, Both of those guys have had a ton of success. Imagine if you were able to do that with this roster, you would, again, be in a better position. Your starters would be better. Your bullpen would have less stress on it. And ultimately, you'd be in a, in a good place overall instead of maybe starting Ronald Torres at third base because you could have developed Alec Bohm to the point where he's not hitting more than two grounders per every fly ball. There is an idea that like, if you have an OPS below 650, you can't really start. And Ronald Torres is at 639 right now. Brad Miller is still their first baseman. I know we've talked about that. I don't know if getting on the same page is enough. Being cohesive is good. But you can be cohesive and still be a bad team when you have this roster. And I think that's the point. Like, you need to be cohesive, mobile, and deep. And they're only one of those things. Yeah, and, and you know, that's three positions, right? First base, third base, center field right now, which is a mess. And that's not to mention Gregorius at short, who has not had a good season. Those guys, like, Therese can have a role. So can Brad Miller. But they're not maximizing those guys, their talents. They're just no. playing them every day. And that's right. the difference between a team like the Phillies and then a team like the Giants. Like the Giants are using, they're playing Wilmer Flores again at first base where he's viable defensively against left-handed pitchers. They're playing Darren Ruff against left-handed starters. Like they are putting guys in positions to succeed. The The Phillies just kind of like, these are our vets. So we're going to, we're going to roll with them. And they're not, they have not been able to develop these young guys and they have the, they have had to be in this position of making urgent decisions all the time instead of making the right decision. And it's just not sustainable. I don't know at what point Girardi can, can get himself back to kind of Milwaukee Girardi because he's got to develop some of these guys. And it starts early in the season. I think like you have to start giving these guys opportunities early on. And instead he's, you know, in some sense it's like they they're playing to win too much. Like first half of the season, you got to kind of gauge your talent and, and, build guys confidence and give them opportunities and, and see who, see who can play when and where and mix and match and, and, and play around with the roster. And I think that the Phillies were, and again, in some ways just like trying to win every single game all the time, no matter what. And it, it's not sustainable for a 162 game season. You have to play kind of the mini long game, right? You had to play the 162 game season long game. And, and, I didn't see any of that kind of that type of development from the Phillies this year. It's just been like plug and play, get these guys in there. You know, Bohm's going to figure it out. He's going to figure it out. He's going to figure it out. Oh crap. He didn't figure it out. Let's send him down and let's ride the vet. Ah crap. Spencer Howard, he's started to reliever. Ah crap. This isn't working. Let's send him, send him to Texas, get a real guy in here that we know can be a starter. Okay. Now we're good there and we're good for next year, but you know, next year isn't enough. At a certain point, you can't just keep giving away Spencer Howard's, you know, five years of these guys. 
you need to build, you need the guys who you have five years of control with the, the right. young players who are cheap. And these, man, they do not have those guys. They don't. And it's really a bummer. And it's interesting to think of Girardi in, in Miami or Florida, whatever we're calling them for the 2006 version of the Marlins. Um, you know, they, that team went 78 and 84 and that was like an incredible job, right? Yeah. This team is on on pace to go 500 or slightly below it again and they sh- they've shown flashes for like 8 games and then like maybe 3 to 5 games after that. And other than that, they've been really frustrating pretty much all year. That that Marlins team had Dontrell Willis, they had Josh Johnson going uh all out. Anibal Sanchez uh yeah. played a role on that team. As wild as it may have been, uh, in terms of hitters, they had Miguel Cabrera, of course, so like a Bryce Harper type. They had Hanley Ramirez, Dan Ugla, players that maybe don't, pl- like Ugla probably doesn't persist in this kind of environment um, for what he eventually became, but he was really good that year. Josh Willingham, like they had contributors all over the place. They had a bunch of guys that they could have plugged in and, and gotten one through nine, at least, in that lineup. And, and, you know, when it comes to the rotation, you're talking five through ten, like, I don't know. I guess it's one thing to manage through poor expectations and it's another to manage into expectations of like, I guess we'll be 500. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, ugly is the exact type of guy they need, right? He was a 26 year old rookie in, yeah. in 2006 and, and he became a guy, he became a dude and, and, you know, Ramirez and, and Hanley Ramirez and Miguel Cabrera were, were guys on that team. I mean, they were young veterans, and, you know, you just haven't seen any of those kind of guys step up for this for this roster. No, no, you haven't. And I think that ultimately does speak to the developmental developmental uh, aspect of things. Which brings us to the Pirates, who claimed Eniel de los Santos, who have been doing some interesting things quietly over the last calendar year. If, if you haven't been paying attention, check them out. Go to their beer ref page go to their fangraphs page as a roster they're doing some interesting things they've had uh you know the, the thing with de los santos is that he's thrown a fastball 70 percent this year which is wild in today's game and it's not like it's an elite pitch that he can get away with it it's you know it's not like uh, jake mckee's fastball uh so i'm curious to see what they do with it they've had some success recently with untraditional fastball guys, right? Like the, the four seam is in vogue, but they've got Miguel Yahore, uh, JT Brubaker, Mitch Keller, all throw non four seamers that have been good this year to various extents or better than they have been in the past as this new regime kind of gets its feet on the ground. Uh, they've also had Bryce Wilson, who's gotten a couple of good starts against Milwaukee, Cincinnati, really good team since they claimed him from Atlanta. They're doing really interesting things on the hitting side. They seem to have this type of uh, guys who can, play a really solid defense or better and really smoke the ball when it comes to it. They've got Cabrian Hayes, uh, Anthony Alford, Rodolfo Castro have all been able to hit it over 109 this year. And that's just since like August. Uh, So when it comes to this kind of having a type or being able to squeeze more out of a player than they've gotten before this regime got to them, uh, do the Pirates show us that there might be a right way to be patient if there isn't a singular one? Yeah, they're, they're starting to get there. I mean, the Pirates have to be patient just because they haven't had the talent, but they do have some interesting players. And, you know, Brian Reynolds is kind of the big one. He's had just a monster season, but he's 26 years old, and so he's maybe a little yep. old for what you want for that 
core, but you know, and Cabrian Hayes is 24. He's had some injury problems, but you have two guys there that you can reasonably build around. And as you said, they made some nice pickups on the pitching side. They're kind of low key pickups. Like, I mean, Bryce Wilson was in the, the Richard Rodriguez trade and they got Ricky DeVito in that deal too, who could be an arm eventually. They've, they've shown, you know, in contrast to, to your Phillies, an ability to put together a bullpen and, you know, David Bednar this year, 26 year old, who's had a, a solid season. Uh, you know, Richard Rodriguez did it for years. Uh, he's uh, speaking of, pretty good. of Bednar, the, he, his name has come up in the Slack and, and through Nick's Twitter account. So if you're, if you're or not the Slack, the, the discord, if you're in those communities or following that space, you've certainly heard of Bednar recently and you, you were just speaking to Richard Rodriguez. So uh, tell us a little bit more about how this bullpen has been able to come together. Well, you'd have to ask the Pirates because they have some magic that I don't totally understand. But I'm, I'm, they've done an okay job with it, though. And, and you know, they don't really need a bullpen. So they're, they're giving guys some run who haven't had it in the past. I mean, Dwayne Underwood Jr., a former Cubs prospect, did an all right job for them for for a while. And they made some some nice low-key pickups. I mean, they have they still have some guys. And the rotation is still mostly filler. Like JT Brubaker is 27. He's probably not a long-term guy. Will Crow is not really a long-term guy. Mitch Keller, they've really got to figure out, but they've been working with him and trying trying to get him figured out. Chad Cool has been an arm in the past, uh, and he's been coming back from injuries. So, you know, they're still kind of waiting to see on that. But the Bryce Wilson pickup was interesting. They're still a ways away, though. I mean, they are. They they don't really have the they're beginning to put together the, the type of farm that you need. And it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with the young guys around this roster. Now, like Brian Reynolds and Brian Hayes, are they going to, are these guys going to stick around? Are they going to be on the roster for the next pirates contender? I don't know. I mean, Brian Reynolds is a fascinating player. No one expected him to be this good. His BABIP had been insane, but he just kind of keeps getting on base and hitting the ball hard. He's batting 299, 383. He hit 383 on base percentage, 514, 85 RBIs, 23 home runs, 80 runs. He's playing center field. Brian Reynolds has been a big time player and, you know, still multiple years of control on him. To Brian Hayes, there's another five years of control with him. I mean, these are two way, as you say, the two way, two way players who have a, a, have solid contact skills, right? They put the ball in play. They're, they hit line drives. And so if this is a format for them, it, it could be one that works. And we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll see if Cole Tucker kind of develops. He's been giving given an opportunity this year here and there, but he hasn't really figured it out yet at the plate. It's the start. It's a start, which is, which is big for, for the pirates. And, you know, they can get to, you know, the division, the NL central is kind of notoriously decent. There's there's space there, but I think that they they you know Ben Charrington company they want to build something that's sustainable, and that means you know being able to power through a division that's always going to have contenders and the Brewers and the Cardinals. Those guys are always going to be around. You know, 86 wins isn't going to do it on this in this division because those guys are one of those teams is always going to be around 90. The Reds and Cubs Cubs will they'll go up and down, but. You know, the Cardinals and Brewers, you expect always to be relatively competitive. So the, the Pirates, they need to build something that's going to contend with that. So they need to build a real contender. And I don't know that they have the pieces of there yet, but, you know, they, they clearly have made some smart decisions and they haven't gone overboard with anything in particular. They're kind of 
it reminds me, honestly, I think it's very similar to Mike Elias's work in Baltimore. It's kind of slow and steady. Not yeah. a lot of pieces to trade off, not a lot of ways to fast forward this process. So they're not going to fast forward the process. They're just going to keep kind of plugging away, trying to develop some trade pieces, maybe trading them, maybe not building that farm, keep building that farm, keep building the development team and hoping that that, you know, that bears fruit in another couple of years. Which is really, I guess, impressive because even if the players they have now who are a little older, maybe the mid to pushing into their late 20s, if they're not a part of the next competitive Pirates team, they will absolutely influence that team in terms of what they ultimately get in a trade return because those guys aren't just going to be allowed to walk through free agency even if the Pirates are historically cheap every year. Like you're saying, Brian Reynolds, 8th best OBP in baseball, 22nd best slugging in all of baseball. He wasn't supposed to be this good. These other guys, these pieces who might be pieces, right? I think that's why patience is the interesting word for them because they do seem to be starting down a good path. If not with the pieces they currently have, at least in the sense that they have people who are developing these pieces to get more out of them than you expect. And they're willing to take your top prospects of old, like Anthony Alford. They're willing to go to the same organization repeatedly for various pieces like they did with the Yankees, like the pieces they got for Jameson Tyone, like uh, Hoy Park, who they got uh, at this year's deadline. And got another contact-oriented guy who can play a few different positions, mid-20s. They seem to have a direction. And, and it's interesting, like you're saying, that maybe not a direction that can immediately compete with the Cardinals, with the Brewers, but maybe within two years they're pushing that and they get a, a surprise, a quote-unquote surprise performance from a guy we don't see coming because we're not with the player every day, seeing the work they put in, seeing the connections they make in terms of their own development. But they get that guy who's suddenly a four-win player instead of a two-and-a-half-win player and they get a guy who's a three-win player instead of a one-win player and now they're, like, pushing for a wild card? Like, again, am I... Maybe two in the clouds with this one. Does it seem reasonable? Do they like they're not shouting at the at an empty boat in a fog on a lake, right? No, they're not. I think they have a direction for sure. I I think they're further away than you than you do. I think. I mean, they're they're still the pirates for goodness sake. I mean, <laughs> I mean let's not get ahead of ourselves here. This isn't an up and coming club. This isn't the Tigers. The, the, the Tigers, they're a team to watch. The Pirates are like a team to you know to watch to watch. Like they're they're not they're not quite there. And they they had to completely revamp their. Their pitching philosophy was all jacked up from the, from the Clint Hurdle days, yeah. And and they had to completely, completely revamp the system. And you know, it is going to take time. It will take time. It does take time. And you know, I think I still think that they're a couple of years away. I think Brian Reynolds. If I were a contending team, I would be all over Brian Reynolds this offseason, trying to get him in a in a trade. I think Brian Hayes they'll hold on to, but uh, I do think that they might have a an ability to you know kind of overdevelop guys in the way that you're saying, like, you know, get a little bit more out of them than we expect. But, you know, we haven't seen a lot of that yet, honestly, outside of Reynolds. And, you know, there's some of the, you know, Frazier had a really good year this year, but he was kind of the same guy for a while before that. So it's the pitching side that you really need to see something come through. Like they've got like Bryce Wilson has to hit. He's got to become a guy. He's, yeah. he's a guy who's got some prospect pedigree. He was an extra piece in Atlanta that had kind of like, falling out of favor a little bit, but he's got a hit. He's got to become an arm there. And if they can develop him, that'll be a really good sign for the pirates moving forward. 
I agree with that, especially given with how we've discussed Atlanta recently in terms of having difficulty finishing off those kinds of players and not necessarily getting the most out of or presumably more than you might expect or or having a guy uh, perhaps exceed what we perceive to be his ceiling. So to see a team like Pittsburgh take a chance on him would be especially interesting. They do have guys in the minors who are very interesting. I mean, again, top-rated farm system the best in baseball and they have arms like Tanash Thomas Uh, they have arms like Quinn Priester guys who are probably a couple years off and maybe a year or two after that from really being someone you bank on but guys who are good enough to be highly thought of now and interesting enough to watch I guess like you're saying I like that a team to watch to watch so um Maybe it's just exciting to see them not be quite the pirates <laughs> that we are used yeah. to. I and think I think that's right. Yeah, and and they they do show us a totally different aspect of what a team could look like uh compared to somebody like the Giants, compared to somebody like the Phillies. Really again, like we were saying in terms of how these teams are all managing uh organizationally, really giving us all different looks in terms of who is who in baseball right now. Uh so we've got a lot going on in terms of teams overall but there's also a lot with individuals instances going on around this week in baseball tc ryan braun has officially retired uh, do you have any parting words for ryan braun good riddance <laughs> <laughs> i mean Braun was a he was a fun player it was cool that he stayed with the brewers but he also kind of had to stay with the brewers because everyone else hated him because of the, the steroid stuff and so it's you know i don't know that we give him credit as being a one-team guy <laughs> At a certain point, he just you know wasn't going to be welcome anywhere else. But you know, legitimate player, he was like a step below a, a you know franchise-altering superstar, but a totally legitimate face of the franchise type of player. And he had some great years. He had some great years. He was a you know third base to left field guy. I don't think he was ever a guy that I was really all that afraid of. As a, you know, but he had some big time years. He was he was a real good player. I don't think he was a Hall of Famer or anything, but he'll be. You know, will the Brewers retire his number? Maybe. I don't know. He'll, he'll, he'll be honored there and deservedly so. Yeah, he, he uh, came out his first few years. First half of his career, career was way better than the second half. Uh, good enough so much that he probably stuck around, even though he put up like, what, uh, one, two, three, four, four, five seasons of less than two wins after his uh, 6.8 win season in 2012 and i just kind i just kind of laugh when these retirement announcements come out at the end of a season when you didn't play and nobody wanted you like it kind of takes some of the some of the helium out of it for me uh but i guess congratulations on uh, a great career relatively speaking for ryan braun uh the royals promoted dayton moore and jj piccolo so we've talked about them as a unique franchise what do you make of that Man, they remind me of the Phillies, honestly. But they're, <laughs> but they've, don't but say they've, that. That's but rude. they've been there a long time, and you know, <laughs> I don't know. Dayton, he did it once, you know, built a World Series winner. So he's doing it his own way. He's, I like that he's the that the, there is a royal way is kind of awesome, and that they kind of you know go to the you know what do they call it? Run by the play by the beat of their own drummer or walk to the tune of their own song, <laughs> you know. What they're doing in Kansas City, they're not really doing other places. No, and I appreciate no. that they keep giving it a go, even if it hasn't worked since 2015. 
Well, they've got a good farm. They've had some good years down on the farm uh, this season. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe they become something sooner than later, rather, uh, again. Yeah, we'll see. They um, got some big names coming up. So, you know. They do. They're, they are, you know, a team. They might even be a team to watch. Or a team to watch to watch, which to watch isn't to too watch. far from a team to watch. Uh, so one final note, Chris Paddock went to the I.L. for the Padres. Uh, Blake Snell was recently pulled from a start after 11 pitches. Jake Cronenworth has broken a finger uh, when he was in, when he was in at, mid at bat. Uh, the Padres have become kind of tragic, right? They, we are at a point where like our pets' heads are falling off. Are we not? God, it's tough. I mean, you Darvish gave up five runs in the first inning yesterday. He's one of their healthy guys. Jake Arrieta's pitching today. Good Christ. I mean, <laughs> get that guy out of there. Like, let, let him have some dignity. Let the man just disappear already. God, don't make him pitch in a freaking pennant race, for Christ's sake, against the Dodgers of all teams. Oh, uh, but I mean, he wants to. He's a competitor. He believes he's got it left in him. Uh, make your bets. Get to FanDuel. Buy up those those Dodger players tonight because they are they were getting ready to run. They are excited about tonight's ball game. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, on such such notes, uh, you know, you've had some sharp insights with all of these teams or players today. Uh, where can we find more of your sharp insights, TC? Uh, find me at MLB Trade Rumors. I'll be there uh, Friday night and Saturday morning, keeping you up to date. I've got a pitcher list article coming out soon. It's almost ready, ready to go about the Nats, about their, uh, you know, the Nats' future and who to look for on that team, what the keys are to their future in the next couple of seasons. And uh, find me in the Discord, the pitcher list Discord, and find me on Twitter at TC Zenka. You can find me at Tim Jackson says at Baseball Pro uh, doing the depth charts updates uh, where I look at teams like the Pirates and find a way to maybe make them fun for your fantasy team or, or beyond that. Uh, you can find the pod at BreakingPodPL and email us at BreakingPodPL at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you that way. And, uh, you know, rate us five stars. Leave us a kind comment that goes so, so much further than you could ever anticipate. Uh, We love spending the time with you as always. We can't wait to spend more time with you next week. Until then, we hope you all have the best week ever. We'll see you then, everybody.